episode five of 13 Pieces of Bubblegum with Clint Hurdle, with John and Susan Walsh. My name is Darren Sutton. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for liking. Thanks for commenting. Thanks for watching if you're watching on Perfect Games YouTube channel. If you're watching on Perfect Game TV, we, we do promise you this right out of the gates. Not as heavy of a focus on the future of the game, though we're going to touch it many, many times but a lot of a focus on the depth of the game, the understanding of the game at the highest level. We've got what's on Clint's mind. We're gonna talk about that. We're also gonna take a look at the high hurdle, which is unique. Stay humble when you listen to the high hurdle. That's gonna be a part of our show. Uh, the perspective on managing the 360 swing, but we're gonna be joined by a special guest, Ron Gardenhire, a longtime major league manager, 1200 wins. And 1,200 losses, right? I mean, 2,500 games as a manager in the big leagues. We're going to learn from both depth, and I'm ex- I'm excited about both of those uh, both of those sides of the conversation. Clint's going to get it from Garden Hire. He's promised. That's what managers do <laughs> when they give it to one another. But uh, th- this is cool. Here we are, Clint. You know, episode five. You know, we're going to let you start if you'd like to start with your number five. Yeah, I'm going to start with my number five, just to let you guys know that I'm still new at this. Hence the number five. I have no screen. I can't see you all. So if we look good. We look really good. Do you look yeah. good? Awesome. I look tan. <laughs> I'm really tan. We look really, really, really good. We see you, and that's yeah. all that matters. Okay, that's good. That's yeah. good. And that's my number five. Case closed. Didn't take long. Well, it did take a little bit. There was two thoughts. I won't steal anybody else's thunder, but I, I landed on, I'm sitting on George Brett, number five. I was fortunate enough to uh, to play with him, unfortunate enough to live with him. <laughs> um, no, he was super special guy. Day. Super special guy for me at a point in time in my career, just coming up to the big leagues. Um, the quality of the, the person, uh, the preparation involved, the work ethic, the competitive spirit. Um, I think George is the kind of guy that if you know you invited him to a, to a fist fight, he'd bring a knife. He'd just make sure he had one. He was going to win, and he was going to find a way to win. He could beat you with his legs, the hustle double out of the box, getting a lot down the line, beating a throw. At first, the glove, the arm, the bat, as good a hitter as there was in the game at that time, and also with power. You know, he could, he could pump one. He could, he could definitely have hit more home runs if that's what he wanted to do. Um, he's my number five. He'll always be my number five, that royal blue number five on his back. Uh, the face of a franchise for so many, many years. You know, and one, one story that, uh, that I'm sure that might come up again later today just because, um, well, in that context – I can remember Cleveland Municipal Stadium, 70,000 people, opening day, 1978. Little did I know that two days later, the second game of the season, Municipal Stadium, there'd be 5,000 people. Um, 70,000 people. Wayne Garland starting for the Indians. Steve Busby for the Royals. I've been moved to first base with about two weeks to go in the season. Um, I'm having trouble not throwing up in my own mouth, standing on the line opening day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and George looks at me and he goes, Hey, let's get, let's get five hits today. I'm like, sure. Five hit. Yeah. I'm in for that. He goes, I'll get four kid. You just get one. <laughs> that sealed the deal on him being my number, my number five. Did you make it happen? No, <laughs> he might've got four. I did not get five. Nice. 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 It's funny the the amount of careers he's touched. I called games for a half season last year with Mark Gubaza in the big leagues with the Angels. And gosh, he gives George Brett so much credit. Same kind of thing. You know, he came along and Gooby was looked out for by him. And, you know, same kind of stories, some that are better for another podcast, obviously, with a different uh, different audience. Um, And by the way, Clint, just so you know, um, while you can't see us, maybe you can now, but John, well, did back, hold up, John, John did hold up his George Brett bat. You know, he's like the child looking for the, you know, the love from the parent. There you go. There's young John with his George yeah. Brett bat to make this, you happy. This bat died a hero, huh? Yeah. That bat's part it, it of our did. home. That bat's part of our home. Look at those marks. System now. It sits by the front door. <laughs> it's hard for me to believe that was actually George Brett's bat though, because all the marks really would have been right on the barrel, the sweet spot. They wouldn't be missed hits like that all over. I think you got raped, kid. I think you got taken to the cleaners. 
Why it's busted, Clint? There's no pine tar on it either. The I know. Pine tar is not on the hand, not on it's the not a real, It's not one that he used. All I can say is the game could use some more George Bretts. That's true. Amen. So, John, Susan, either one of you have a five for us? I'm just going to be quick here uh, and, and leave the rest of my time to, to Susan. Johnny Bench. Oh, that's all you have to say? That's all I got to say. Johnny Bench, the big red machine. All right. I mean, that's that's enough said. I'm I'm going Jeff Bagwell. Sorry, Clint. The, um, the Killer Bees with the Houston Astros filled many of my baseball nights watching those guys. I used to get a lot of grief from John. Why do you like the Houston Astros? I'm like, killer bees, baby, because he just cleaned up and I enjoyed watching him a great deal. So that's my number five. And talk about a gentleman. What a great dude. Who? Uh, Jeff Bagwell. Bagwell? Oh, I when never I, had the When I was in Arizona, we did some interviews. The camera broke twice, Clint. The camera broke twice. And Jeff Bagwell both times because the guy – we got by the name of Pat O'Connor looked just like him, one of our other producers. Went in the clubhouse twice, Clint, and said, hey, Jeff, do you mind coming back out and doing the interview again? And he did it. That's crazy. That's not that big league. Crazy. That's not big league production nickname? right there. Is there a better nickname, though, for, than the Killer Bees? I mean, that's pretty good. And what did they call the guys in, in Pittsburgh when it was Bonilla, Bonds, and who else? Was it somebody else? No. I think they called them pending free agents. Oh, okay. them pending free agents. <laughs> That's, wow. That's funny. But let me give you my one bench story. My best bench story, I should say. Not my, not my one, my best. Um, I'm a rookie spring training. It's 1977. We're in Tampa to play the big red machine. Johnny Bench is catching. Mario Soto is on the mound. Whitey gave me a start. Um, I actually little league Whitey. I went and said, hey, Whitey, I'm going to have like 20 family members at the game in Tampa. Do you think you could get me a few innings? <laughs> that would be a brash rookie. Um, yeah, kid, I'll take care of you. You'll get the game. Don't you worry about anything. Well, he started me in the game. Oh, um, so here's Soto on the mound, bench catching, and I walk up to the plate trying not to embarrass myself. It's Johnny Bench. <laughs> and as, as, John, as John said, that's enough. Enough said. Yeah. Johnny Bench, and I walk up, I'm trying to, like a game face, and all of a sudden, I'm digging in, and Bench goes, hey, kid, step out. <laughs> Stepped out, I looked at Johnny Bench, he goes, hey, uh, you got any Indian in you? I think. He goes, well, I'm from Oklahoma, I got some Indian in me. He said, I noticed when you tap that bat on the plate, you had the label up. Yes, sir. Always hit with the label up. He said, are you up here to read or are you up here to hit? Flip that label over and get in a box and let's go. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've never hit with my label facing the plate ever in my life. I was told at an early age, label up. That way, you know, you'll make contact, sweet spot of the bat. Anything else, you could break the bat. You know, probably a tail, but you had to have the label up. So I flipped the label over. It looks so weird. See in the back of the bat, I tap it, I get in here, first pitch strike, second pitch ball, second pitch foul ball, the two one, uh, two one change, a one two change up. I hit it out of the ballpark, left center field in a spring training game. I come across the home plate, bench goes, told you to hit with the label down. Nice job. Oh, wow. That's impressive. Story. We could end right there. We could end yeah. the podcast right there. Good night, everybody. Turn the mic down. <laughs> now, here's the disclaimer. I hit with the label down the rest of my playing career. Maybe the only hitter to ever do it. Wow. Amazing. I never hit with the label up the rest of the time I played in uniform and went to the plate. I don't know. That's an awesome story. More as impressive. awesome as watching, as awesome as watching Johnny Bench, and I think you were there, Clint, at the Perfect Game Hall of Fame dinner. Be surprised as he was called up on stage to help co-host the night. And uh, sit up there with Merville Melendez, his son, MJ Melendez, who's the number one catching prospect in the Royals organization, and not really understand where Merville, Merville's son was from. That MJ hit 43 home runs a year before, thought he was a PG kid, junior in high school, and yet Johnny brought the house down, brought it down. Um, I got in big trouble for surprisingly bringing him up there, big trouble. Um, but it was all private. No one ever saw it. So it was good stuff. Here's my number five. I didn't think I'd do this. Then I recalled literally as we started the recording, I'm being like you, John, but that's my number five. 
Um, that is many years ago when John and I used to have Albert Pujols on the air. That's the uh, photographer for the Cardinals that shared that with me years and years ago. That is definitely Big D. That's like plus 60 pounds, Big D. Can I just, um, can I just say real quick? So, so we would have, obviously, the Brewer dugout, and we'd go to you know uh, Bush Stadium, and Darren's like, who do you want today? Who do you want? And we were like, at the time, you know, well, you know, he's always talking about Albert Pujols. Like, why don't you get Albert Pujols? He goes, okay. So literally, Clint, he would go into the Cardinals clubhouse, pull Albert Pujols <laughs> over to our dugout. Because <laughs> we, we were so low budget, we didn't have a camera over there. He'd pull him over to our dugout, and, Clint, and he would come over, just like Sosha and all those guys, and do an interview. With Darren, how many times do you think we did Albert Pujols? We did it once a year, and he committed to once a year. He'd always do it, and um, he was always great. He told stories. He, he'd come on. He'd talk hitting with us. He'd talk family. He'd talk faith. Um, I'm selfish in that one, um, you know, the, for what he's accomplished as a player. Uh, so my five is Albert. You know, he's playing kind of like my father. He's playing deep into his, uh, to his age right now. And he may have a finish like my father's, but I can't judge him for, for not walking away. But my five is, uh, is Albert. We call him T.O. Albert in our house. I'm married to a wonderful Latin woman, Uncle Albert. So uh, we, we love him in this house for sure. We love him. He and I were cut similar times last year by the Angels. He got cut, then I got cut. It was interesting how that worked out. So. Package deal. I think it was all salary related. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Somehow our W-2s look different, though, when we're filing our taxes this yeah. year. Yeah. A couple more thoughts about Brett, my boy Brett, my buddy Brett. Um, the year that he hit three, you know, we, we made mention in our, in our notes, our, our study notes. He hit 390 in 1980. I was there for each and every hit, each and every out. You saw the three, the last, well, the, the three months of the season, the hottest months, June, July, and August, 472, 494, and 430. Oh, wow. Cooled off in September. So he probably hit about 340. So, you know, he only hit 380 on the year, 390, excuse me. The deal, the biggest deal for me was that season, George Brett only popped up five times in the infield five infield pop-ups and how many at bats five times i popped up five times in the infield in a double header <laughs> i mean five times this guy hit the ball hard all the time right-handed left-handed hard soft it was incredible what a hitter okay Let's move on. All right. Well, if you say let's move on, we're this is how the show works. If Clint says we're moving on, what's on your mind then, Clint? What's on your mind? Because I know there was more than $3 billion in free agent spending this, this winter. Um, I'm intrigued by overall spending by each team. That includes re-signings, free agents, ARB, or settlements, where Texas spent the most, Toronto, L.A., New York, Detroit. They were in the top five, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Oakland, Kansas City, Cleveland were in the bottom five. That's all spending this winter, retaining players or bringing on free agents. So I'm teeing you up a little bit, but what's on your mind when I start with those numbers? Well, we're paying, we're paying players for what we, what we deem important uh, within the game, obviously. Sluggers got paid. OPS is in the air. One of the makes you laugh, makes you cry things. Guys are gearing their swings to lift the ball, get it up in the air, right out of the ballpark. I mean, we got Cruz, Sola, Soler, Schwarber, Castellanos, Bryant, and Freeman. That's a whole bunch of money. The rich get richer. Um, the the big five clubs, you know, the most the payroll highest payroll paying clubs, they're all gouging. There's no doubt they can play at a level that not many teams can play at. But then you got those those lower clubs, whether it's the Orioles, the A's, the Guardians, and the Pirates right now. At under $40 million, there's no way for those clubs to get back in the hunt without tanking, and I hate tanking. Um, I can't understand why they do it. I would never want to be a part of it, but I, enough said, I don't have to worry about that. I'm not. The beef being is what do you do with the fan base? I think Pittsburgh's on a three-year re rebuild. Baltimore's been rebuilding since the, the new GM went over there. Um and the Reds, you know, they unloaded the three best players before the season. 
I just, my, my, my concern is if I'm a season ticket holder, do I say, okay, we've, we've done all this. Can I, can I get a little break on my season ticket price? Mm-hmm. You know, can, are we going to get, give me any give back here? We, there's no give back. We charge what we charge. Um, the revenue sharing at the end, these clubs that don't have high payroll get a, the same lump as everybody else, which is a significant more lump than them because it's chance of being more than what their payroll is. That in and of itself puts them in a different financial status. I just, I don't think we, we've really kind of taken care of the problems that continually are there. Um, why would the, why wouldn't the, the Dodgers go out and get Freeman? You know, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't the Mets with Cohen just push it all in, spend more money than the Yankees, you know? Who spent more money than the Yankees and not gotten further in the playoffs right now? It just goes to show you that it doesn't have to happen that way. But even the A's, who have been one of the best teams in the game with Bob Melvin there, pushing the playoffs, pushing the playoffs. Yeah. They finally had to, to come up with a different game plan this year. And they've basically moved almost all their good players Tampa Bay hasn't done it. They were talking about doing some creative things still, but it's so, so difficult. Lower market teams, we may talk about this again, you have no room for error. You have no safety net. You have to make every right trade, every white waiver claim, every right free agent signing. The player development people have to keep spitting people out up to the big leagues. There's just a lot more. Uh, you, you've got to, your accuracy rate's got to be a lot higher than those big market teams. There's no doubt about it. So it's still not a level playing field in my mind. The ultimate question is nobody challenges. They haven't changed it. So it must be working for the owner some kind of way, and it must be working for the association some kind of way with there being no floor for payroll or no cap for for payroll. That's exactly right. I think you just nailed it. We were asked to be patient while they figured it out and, and uh, we spend so much time in the amateur game. I didn't really care. It was easy for me to be patient. Let me know when you guys come back. I love the sport at the highest level, but I love the amateur game. So uh, certainly I was patient, but while diehard fans were patient, they didn't solve that problem. Exactly. Clint, you nailed it. The floor that, that keeps, you know, a team, you know, a Baltimore, a Pittsburgh, an Oakland, a Kansas city, a Cleveland, that says they have to spend a buck 25, a buck 35, a buck 50, whatever that number is. And they did not, that, that was not put in place. And so I, I have no judgment for Dayton Moore and him saying, I'm going to let Bobby Witt play this year. And I'm going to let Melendez, you know, share time with Salvi. And I'm going to let Melendez learn to play. I'm going to let Nick Prado come up and play. And um, I've got three pitchers that were first round picks a couple of years ago. I'm not spending 25 on a, on a free agent pitcher. I've got my guys. I'm fine with not spending this winter. Um, I don't know that Kansas City's tanking. I don't know that Oakland is tanking per se. I love their trades. I think their trades were were spot on. The teams that frustrate people are, are the Baltimore's, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati. I mean, in our home, we're Dodgers fans, the highest end, and we're Reds fans, the lowest end. So I get it. Like we're we I follow everything the Reds do, and none of their trades were were big trades. None of them were impactful. So. I just wish they could have figured that part out, though, because it's hard for me to be frustrated at organizations in how they spend their money when there weren't parameters put in place in this agreement. High five to Dayton Moore for bringing up Bobby Witt Jr. and not worrying about the service time. You know, there's so many other clubs that have got one or two players that are going to get pushed back, just like Chris Bryant did how many years ago, you know, to control and manipulate the service time and the free agency and everything else. So, High five to Dayton Moore. A lot of different reasons. Dayton Moore gets high fives a lot because he's a good baseball man on top of being just a good man. Amen. Integrity is at the forefront of everything he does and touches. I would also point to the fact that there are two teams, like spending doesn't necessarily guarantee you. I mean, think about two of your former clubs, Darren, the D-backs and the Angels. Angels have spent and they haven't been to the postseason. Diamondbacks are in a big market. I know they have a big TV deal. They've spent some money. It hasn't worked out. But then I look at like the Milwaukee Brewers and what they've done with their pitching. And there have been some shrewd moves bringing in, you know, low cane. I know they they got hot. They got lightning in the bottom with Yelich. And where is Yelich now? But, um, you know, I think about Tampa Bay Rays, right? I mean, look what they've done in that division with the Red Sox and the Yankees and the, and the Blue Jays have been spenders. So I wonder what those other teams say. Maybe there's too much business. You know, it's a business. And now the number crunching, like you said, like they just crunch the numbers and realize they're not going to make, you know, they got to make a little profit here opposed to maybe actually selling the game of baseball. Agreed. No, it's, it's good. Well, let's, let's move on. Let's, let's go for two. 
because I got a couple points here. I'm going for two. We're gonna be making the bases bigger or moving them in. Okay, I just laugh. I get it. Scientifically, they've actually been in before. I love an article written by Kevin Kernan on Ball Nine. He writes stuff that's fantastic. I don't know if you read Kevin. If you don't, you should. Um, you know, he says back in the day in his neighborhood, in my neighborhood, we move second base in all the time. So don't tell me like this is new. Second base has been a floating dynamic for, for every kid that's ever played out in the street, in the backyard, or anywhere else. However, we continue to shrink the game. We have a ghost runner at second base because we can't get on. We're not stealing. There's not enough activity. So we make the base. We bring it in, which makes all the sense in the world because that's where it should be. But we're paying them for OPS. Are they ever going to change their swing if we start, you know, reevaluating what we're going to pay them for? On-base percentage, batting average, something else. But this OPS thing, it's got swing skewered. People are swinging big. There's not enough activity in the game. Susan made a comment today. She threw something in late in the box about the, in college baseball. You know, they're going to have the wrist bracelet. So now you can get a, you get a buzz. So the, the, the coach can call the game for the pitcher from the dugout, which I think, here's what I think. Yeah, let's enable them some more. Let's make sure they don't think at all, ever, when they play. I mean, let's just turn them into robots, robotic movements, everything. I said it a while ago, and I was the old man. I said, you know, when they get computers in this dugout, it'll be time for me to go. Well, guess what? They got computers in the dugout, and I've been kicked out. That, I said also that there would be GPSs on infielders' wrists. Well, that's going to happen. I hate what I watch. I'm doing some high school scouting. I'm doing some college scouting. I'm watching a college game. I'm watching a high school game last week. Fifth pitch of the game, the pitcher takes off his hat and looks in his hat for some time. I don't know what he's looking It's the fifth pitch of the game. And then they got a coach calling out cadences to the catcher instead of giving him signs. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, it's the fifth pitch of the game. These are high school kids. I don't appreciate it used to be a competitive, you know, a competitive advantage. You had smarter players, you played better. Now we've lowered that playing field. You don't even have to be smart to play. Hopefully you're just really talented because we'll buzz the signs. We'll tell you what to call. We'll figure it all out. And by the way, oh, that's right. It's called a game, right? But let's, let's remember that it's a game. Um, so that's my rant. That's going for two. I'm safe. Wow. I'm glad I, I'm glad I, Beautiful. Put, glad I put that article in there. That was a good rant. You will be encouraged, Clint, to know a couple of weeks ago, I did an Arizona Stanford series and it's an all American catcher, but Daniel Susak, who's going to be a first round pick, um, PG all American, his pitching coach is Dave Lawn, and he's a little bit more traditional. Dave has uh, been with different staffs. He's been there a long time. He's on Chip Hale's team now. Um, and Chip, as the head coach, longtime major league guy, Daniel Susak calls about 60% of his pitches. So you have a catcher calling about 60%. Now, here's the thing. He has the IFB in his ear. He has the actual – Dave Lawn has the ability to communicate. Catcher has the IFB in his ear. I call it an IFB as a TV guy. But um, he, he, he calls about 60%. You know, Dave gets in his ear about four out of every ten times, and, and Dave makes a point at that point. It's a suggestion. So – Hopefully, uh, along the way, there still are some programs like Arizona's who are letting the kids take control as well. Combo, right? I mean, well, you know I what's hope. cool? Here at IMG, down the street in Bradenton, Dave Turgeon, former, well, he's a friend of mine. He was in the Pirates organization for many years. He's the manager of the national team. They let their catchers call their own games. And these games matter at IMG. You know, they're like, everybody's taking shots at them. They're one of the higher ranked teams in the nation but they use it as a teaching tool. They teach off the catcher calling his own pitches to help him grow and learn as he goes, what a concept. Learn. Yeah, that's a, by mistakes. the way, he's, that's the number one left-handed pitcher in the country that you're talking about. You're letting Brady Neal. Brady Neal's calling pitches. That's exactly right. Paris. Absolutely. You're number Paris. one left-handed pitcher in the country. That's exactly right. Good stuff. You guys are working it out. I like this. Isn't it cute so, that um, that the um, distinguished um, people on the show always have their iPads named after their wives? <laughs> that just means they have their wife's iPad. <laughs> <laughs> Clint, you know, Clint's got Carla, John logged on, and it said Susan. Uh, now we've got Ron, and it's Ron's Carol. joining us. You want to you want to take a quick break here and we bring in Ron Gardner. Oh, how cute.
Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to take a quick break. We'll be back. This is 13 Pieces of Bubblegum with Clint Hurdle, who is clearly in charge today. podcast there are moments where clint is able to flex and grab a guest on a moment's notice like a snap of a finger and certainly it's fun to have someone who's the best player in the 23 24 25 class because that's perfect game but then it's also fun to have matt holiday come on and talk about being a dad and being a a major league player it's it's really fun selfishly for me as my time as a broadcaster to have this next guest ron gardenhire and the career he had as a manager, more than 1,200 victories and kind of a turnover a couple of times of young players, whether he was a coach on that twin staff or a manager, young players coming to the big leagues, seeing them flourish and taking them back to the postseason. He was there a couple of times when that happened in Minnesota and he spends time with us now. Guardy, thanks for hanging out with us, my friend, on this kind of our opening day, uh, opening day schedule. Um, for you, opening day, you had a lot of them, like a, two generations of them almost. Um, did you get nervous even as you were maybe older in the game as someone who had seen 10, 20, 30 opening days? Did you still get the healthy amount of heartbeats and butterflies on opening day? Oh, yeah. That always that was always there. Uh, making sure you had everything covered going into the first game and going back through spring training, what we do right or wrong. And, yeah, so opening day you get those jitters, but it's really exciting. Walking, uh, I think announcing the players on the line and then going down and giving them high fives going through seeing those guys, you know, smiling, the whole package ready to play baseball. That's a big moment. How, how, how much of you, and then I'll step back and let, let Clint jump in, how much of you was always kind of a player development guy? I asked that question because of, you know, with Perfect Game, we see young athletes all the time. But you had those turnovers. You had Johan Santana and Kyle Loesch come to the big leagues. When you were a coach, you, you had, you know, younger players around like Chuck Knobloch play in big games. You had Scott Erickson pitch in big games. How much of you, even though you were a hardcore high-level manager and could handle the high-salaried guys, was still kind of a player development guy at heart? I just, yeah, and that's kind of why I got into it when I first did after uh, uh, my career was over with. Uh, they asked me to you know, become a minor league in the Twins organization, and and I wanted to do that. Uh, you know what? I feel like a lot of people gave me a lot of information that I could use and help other people, so... You know, I had I had good good mentors. Tom Kelly was one of the best baseball guys that I've ever been around. I coached underneath him for ten years or so, so I wanted to give back too, and uh, that was all part of it. And I got I really had a lot of fun, you know, helping develop these guys, all the information that we have, throwing it at them, and and it was fun. And we had some really good baseball teams. All right, Gardy. I've got some questions, and then I want you if you have any questions for me. I think this could really be fun. My first question, though, and I just made this one up, looking at you, thinking about opening days, because I pretty much think about opening days. I was in a uniform 45 years, major league opening days. I was in a lot of them. But then I started thinking, how many opening days did I actually start? <laughs> I actually start the game as a player – and you know what? That 30-some number kind of gets really, 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 I'm thinking I might have had yeah. four or five that I actually was on the line as a player opening day. Can you think back and kind of guess how many of those you had? It wasn't too many. <laughs> it was, uh, I think, maybe two or three. Maybe. I, I was, you know, off and on in the big leagues and, uh, uh, you know, with the Mets. And uh, But I can, looking back, not too many as a player. I can guarantee you that. 236 doesn't help you. <laughs> the beauty, the beauty of that question, though, the beauty of that question, you look at Gardy, who's a man I had respect for playing beside him. That'll be another story. I'm sure he'll share, share in the minor leagues. Yeah. But playing beside him and then us both breaking into the big leagues around 2002 as managers. I mean, people thought Gardy would. I'm sure when Gardy saw my name, he thought, what the hell are they doing? How does this happen? <laughs> but for guys that didn't play, you know, opening days between the two of us, we might have had six where we were on the line. But then to become managers, I managed 16, almost 17 years. Gardy, you managed, what, about the same? Yeah, somewhere in there. I and, try not to count them. <laughs> but, well, but, but the point being, li- lifelong learners. 
and showing the ability to continue to teach and learn and, and, and raise the bar for players and coaches and try to meet, meet some expectations and build things properly with the right way, with the, with the good of the game involved. Tell me about, if you would, when you, when you knew, because go back to our minor leagues, let's play playing. you played short, I played third. And I was the reason Gertie got back to the big leagues. I kind of played what? third. Gertie played a lot of short and a lot of third, too. He covered a lot of ground. But talk yeah. about meeting, meeting there. When you were in the minor leagues playing then, did you think you'd be a manager for almost 20 years in the big leagues? No, not, not at all. I, I really didn't. I thought of coaching. I thought maybe going into coaching because being under Tom Kelly taught me a lot, and I thought I could help people. Managing, it was out there. People said someday you might get a chance, but – you know, it wasn't something that I was trying to do. I wanted to, I love the idea of coaching. I thought that was great. I liked my coaches that we had through the minor leagues from Johnny Antonelli to those guys. Uh, and I, I just loved them and respected them so much. And, uh, uh, but, you know, going to be a major league manager, that's not what my pursuit was. It was to actually become a coach and, you know, help other people more than anything else. And then let's really get down to the, the bits and pieces here. You playing third base and me playing short timeout. I played third and halfway. I played halfway third and shortstop because you drew a line and you said, I go no farther than this. And I remember that and never forget it. And then when a pop fly would go up, you'd look at me. You never turned to run for a pop fly. So I don't know if you call that playing third base. I call you were standing there waiting to hit. That's all it was. <laughs> yeah, guilty as guilty charged. Guilty as charged. <laughs> yeah. Oh, now the second, goodness. wait a minute, second part of it, Clint. Um, okay, <laughs> we went the opposites with hairdos. All right, I went with this hairdo. Now what happened to yours? Chrysler. <laughs> Holy cow! Yeah. You can hit a this seven is... iron out of this. You can actually hit a seven iron out of this. It's a nice. It's a nice. It's, it's a nice line. This yeah, is the part. This is the, the part where the this is the part where the host steps in for the audio listeners and reminds everyone that Clint has hair that's very high, spiked, silver, beautiful, very, very filled with product. It is a look. It is big league. Gardy is comfortably saying with his cap on. He's pulling the cap off, showing a balding head. It's beautiful. It's it's all Ron. So yeah. just for our audio listeners, that's what we just had there. Just for our audio listeners. Um, speaking of which, for our <laughs> YouTube listeners, I was in my bin of cards last <laughs> night, oh, and geez. I found this. It took a while. The, He's got a lot oh of cards. Boy. The two of us were sitting down there <laughs> for quite some yeah. time. Yeah, but I found that one. He's so proud of himself. I was. I was I proud of we my... were... That picture must have been taken. I think we were out the night before in Chicago when they took that picture. Right there. You look like you a young Mickey Mantle. It looks like you just got done crying. <laughs> <laughs> Probably so. Hey, Gardy, the only thing that's fake about me is the product I put in my hair. But I do got, I do got to tell you something. You could come down here and be a Bruce Arians double for Bruce. I mean, when you, with the yeah. ball cap on, you and Bruce are running. Yeah, you guys are running one, one A and one B. That's incredible. It just jumped out at me. He's kind of been on TV a lot down here lately. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, he has. I've seen yeah, yeah. yeah, but so, this is my I have I have dress hats. That's all I got a oh. bunch of hats. He's got the Kangle. Have you ever worn a Kangle? Have you ever worn one of those little short hats that Bruce wear? No, I haven't done that. All right. You don't, you don't seem to be the type. Gardy's actually been to Anna Marie Island. Gardy said he rode his motor motorcycle down here on Anna Marie Island back in the day. He ate at Skinny's hamburger joint back in the day. So he's got some history here on the island. I invited him down here. The island, there's an open invitation to get down here at some time. You and Carol, I'd love to have you down here. But now this is the segue. Tell me, tell everybody how many years you are trying to get close. How many years you, you and Carol have been married? Oh, gosh. Why would you say that? I'm, I'm taking brain pills, man, just to remember what day it is. All right. We're, we're up there. We, were, we got married in 1979. If so I you added up. If I had my three together, I think I, I think you still got me, but I'm not sure. Carl and I have been married 22 years now. Uh, but I was going to say, Carol was the best thing about Guardy back, back in the day in, in Tidewater in Norfolk when we played for a major leaguer player, coach, manager, 
And behind every good man, I found out over time in this game is a much better woman. Carol Gardenhire is elite. She's elite. She's kept that thing together with duct tape, spit, and chicken wire. Kept pushing this boy back out on the field, doing his thing. And, and I love her for it. But this is a special guy. Gardy, tell them, share with them, because one thing you and I could always relate to, mid-market teams, small market teams. Tell, talk to them about the air, the air, the challenges that come with that, some of the benefits, but some of the challenges as well. Well, I mean, as, as a manager, when you're, you're managing a smaller market team, you know, like the Twins, we didn't spend a lot of money or anything like that. And, uh, you know, my first year, we, I had David Ortiz with us, and he had a hell of a year. And then the next year, we didn't have David Ortiz anymore because he was started getting up to $2 million and, and they just weren't going to pay it. And that's kind of how baseball goes. And in small market teams, you got you got to draft well. And this is one of the things that the Twins did very well. You have to develop very well. You have to get lucky in the draft. You have to make good decisions and develop really well because that's going to be your line. That's how you're going to continue winning is developing good players. Tampa Bay, guys like that, Oakland, they do it probably as good as anybody. And, and they just keep the line going. And it has good scouts, great scouting, and that's what we have. What other challenges did you did you see presenting themselves as you continued to manage i mean you had one you had such a well-run model in, in minnesota and a lot of people will always say well tom kelly there's no doubt tom kelly he you know he helped establish that structure but then the next guy that came in did a really good job at maintaining culture atmosphere effort energy performance and that was you that was you you, you made your own way you know you made your own name Talk to me a little bit about the transition then going to Detroit next, because that was a whole different frontier for you. Yeah. You know, in Minnesota, I had great coaching staffs and you're surround yourself by good people that are good teachers. And we were lucky there going to Detroit. Same thing. I brought in some really good coaches, but they were in a rebuild at the end of my tenure in Minnesota, we were rebuilding again. Uh, everybody had left and it was time to rebuild again. And we got, we got beaten up pretty bad. Uh, uh, and then going to Detroit, I knew Al Avila told me exactly what was going to happen here. They don't have much. They have Cabrera. They got some kids developing in the minor leagues. I know one thing I did for Detroit. I got them three number one picks because we stunk, right, for three years. And got them three number one picks, and they're in the big leagues right now. Yeah. And that's kind of the way it goes when you develop, and, you know, you feel good about it. They got chances to pick. They drafted well, and now the Tigers are on the run again. That's kind of the same thing happened in Minnesota after I left there. We have you know, a, one of the things I would look across the dugout. My buddy was over there managing that Detroit Tiger. You know, not everybody knows this, but I've been a Tiger fan since I was five years old. And I never had an opportunity to, to wear that old English D. The, the best opportunity I did have, though, was to run into Al Kaline every time we would come in. I told Al my rookie year that he was my favorite player. From that time on, he found his way either over the dugout, the side of the cage, or in the office when I started coming and managing to say hello. Speak a little bit about my boyhood idol, if you would. I don't know if you had a relationship with Al. I imagine you did. It's hard not to. But talk about just the history of the Tigers. Those are the things that I think you know and I know as managers, bringing in people to spring training, the, the history of the organization. If you can get those guys to come in through like, like him and like Willie Horton and guys like that coming on the field, it what didn't get any better. Alan Trammell, those are the people that I wanted in there because they've been there and done it. And they've got good, they got good stuff that they're going to throw at these players. And they're not afraid to jump on the players, you know, take them off to the side. And I enjoyed that part of it. And that was the same thing in Minnesota. When you have all those guys coming into spring training, I would invite them in. Harmon Killebrew, I invited him into Major League Camp uh, before he passed away. And, I, and he told me that's the first time in his whole lifetime he's been invited to camp to help out anywhere. That shocked me. That shouldn't go. These people that, you know, we're talking about, they're the they're the they're the, the history of this game yeah. and you want them not, I want them at the ballpark talking to these players and seeing their faces because then watch some video of those guys those guys could really play and and having them just around the players meant everything to me weren't you just in camp with the twins because I had a guy come here major league baseball players alumni signed some balls he said he was head down to Fort Myers to get you to sign some balls and Bly Levin Bly Levin were you both there down at twins camp last week they Bly Levin and those guys were. I drove over my motorcycle and stood there and watched a little bit, but I didn't get off of it and I didn't go on the field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
What kind of bike do you have, Ron? What do you got? I have a trike, a Harley trike. Oh, nice. Yeah, and I absolutely love it. I don't want, I, I had motorcycles growing up as a kid. And I'm getting too old. I don't want to put my feet on the ground and hold the thing up. So I bought a trike. My wife and I go everywhere on that thing. We travel everywhere. We have a uh, on our show, uh, Ron, it's called the high hurdle. And, you know, you kind of touched on it. It's a word choice. We did family last week. We're going to do humility. And just listen to you, I, you know, for your, you know, the game is humbling and you're bringing players in. It just goes to show you what kind of person you are. It's not all about you. You've talked about your coaches and stuff, you know, Maybe you can speak a little bit about that, but I also have a bone to pick about with, I'm, I'm just sorry, as a producer director, I watch you, I watch Clint, I watch managers, I cover the Brewers. The one thing that bothers me about today, and I don't know how you feel about it because you mentioned your great coaches and yourself, is all these index cards. It seems like every time I look, a manager's got his face in an index card. And it's like, I remember Joe Torrey, you know, he would just be on the bench and talking to Zim or talking to Star. And it's like, I just find it to be, um, it's not intimate. It's its like, I want to see the manager make some decisions. And and am I wrong here? Not thinking that it has to be the front office guys have to make the smart geniuses. Like you guys have been humbled by the game. You know the game, you know, you have a feel for the game. I mean, what, what's your thoughts on, on the index cards or? How long can the show go? How long can the show go? How long is it going to last? As long uh, as you feel want. free. Feel I, free. I, I honestly, I respect the analytics department. Uh, you know, personally for me, when I would be sitting at my desk and doing the lineup and on my computer and trying to figure out matchups, looking at all the numbers that we have, uh, as I've always used, and then the analytics guys coming in and handing me a lineup saying, you should bat this guy first, uh, this guy should be batting six, and we don't want this pitcher to throw sliders anymore. We sliders, not very good. Just use his fastball and a change up. And that's when I started thinking, man, this is kind of taking it away from the players on what they do best. They use all their stuff. And, and uh, it just got a little, that's where I decided that I'm kind of need to get away from here, let them do their thing. Baseball's, you know, doing its thing. And that's the way it went. And it was hard. It was hard for me because I would learn the old school way, Tom Kelly, us on the field teaching, talking with them, uh, working with the first base, but taking infield almost every day in Minnesota under Tom Kelly and when I was managing until it kind of got out of whack where they couldn't, they wouldn't give you the time to take infield. The grounds crew would, but we took infield before games every day. That was Tom Kelly with Kirby fucking center field, Ken Herbeck and right, but we still took infield. They don't even allow that anymore because they cut the time down where you can't do it. Those are all the parts of the game. In when I was in Minnesota, we didn't beat ourselves very often. Other teams might have beat us, but we didn't make errors. We didn't make stupid mistakes and things like that. Well, we made them, but, you know, it happens everywhere. But we were pretty solid fundamentally, and that was all through Tom Kelly, and I learned that way, and I told my guys we're going to stay with this. It works. You get the outs you're supposed to. Get a runner over from second to third to less with no outs. That's how you win games by one run, and that's it's kind of not the way of the world anymore. It's go up there and swing. Just let her fly, and you know what? I respect it. It's a different way to play the game. But it wasn't the way I was brought up. And it's hard for me to watch at times because I see too many strikeouts. And I just know one thing. I learned this a long time ago. You will never get on base if you strike out. You never have a chance if you don't put it in play. And, and that's the part of the game that kind of wears me out. My hair, if I had hair, it would be sticking up just like hurdles right now. If I were on the bench, my hat would be rising. <laughs> Guardy. First of all, you got a guy here that he's in the Hall of Fame, going into the Hall of Fame. What is that induction ceremony going to be? That's like August 20th. Yeah. I'm would excited. You, would you leave me a ticket? Can I come as a fan and, and applaud you from like oh, you know, somewhere? Absolutely. I, I, I'll, I'll invite you right now. If you want to go, I just thought that you were too busy not, down there in Florida. No, but well, there's things I am. There's I'm busy being not busy. But there's some things in life that just mean mean, mean something. Um, yeah, I'm proud of you. Uh, I I know the challenges that come with managing that market. I know the effort that's put in with your coaches and and yourself. And I can tell you, you guys, you know, there were certain people you'd sit across, you'd sit in that dugout, look across the other side. And you know, you knew something that okay. I just need to manage a good game tonight. I don't need to make a mistake. If I make a mistake, Guardy's going to shove it on me. It was just you knew that going in. No, you knew it going in. Because he's a sharp guy, he's a baseball guy, 
he grew up in that same era that I did. We wrapped our hearts around the game. That's the game we grew up with. That's the game we loved. And now we see it transform a different way. That's why it's hard. But it's probably happened generationally for a long time. Yeah. I, I do know this. He mentioned, you know, the, 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 the high hurdle, the, the word humble. Guardy was that as a player as well. I mean, the, the thing that kept Guardy from playing more, more often than not, was injuries. It wasn't lack of talent. I mean, he could play. This was a guy that was basically Kevin Elster before Kevin Elster showed up at shortstop. You know, he got he got the balls. He made throws. He hit the he, he could handle the bat. He could do a lot of cool things that won baseball games. And the biggest tribute you can give to a teammate is he made people around him better, me included, playing third base, you know, him, him at shortstop. He played so well, Davey called him up by having to play two positions. That, that I helped, I helped get him up there. But share share with us what one more time, I mean, humility, there's two kinds of people in, in baseball and in the game of life for me, those that are humble and those that are about to be. And, That's and right. walk, walking out now, what makes you smile now that you've been away? Because you and I have been away a little bit. You know, we got to hit pause and, and step away. What makes you smile now? It doesn't have to be on the field or even baseball related, but what makes you smile now, Barty? Well, I think I like – when I'm watching baseball and I don't watch it as much as I used to, and we kind of got a lot of stuff going on and, and Carol's the boss and you know that she's always been the boss. And when she says, let's go, we're gone. And she's not going to sit around and watch baseball, but she watched enough of that. But you know what? I think, you know, it, it, it is humbling thinking that you were there, you know, you were there. I was there. We were on that bench. So we know what managers are going through. We know how hard it is. We know how much you can control and can't control. You make decisions and it doesn't work out. It's not because you're stupid. It's because the guy you put out there that day just didn't have his best stuff or whatever. We made the right decisions. And I take that and I think about it all the time. And I think about how many wrong decisions I made, which are an awful lot of them. Putting a guy in and getting back to the dugout and I'm going, Andy, what are we doing? This guy's got 10 hits off him in the last 12 at bats. Well, it's a good matchup today, Ronnie. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> Those are the things I think back on and I'm like, I don't, I miss that. Like you can't believe because the, the entertainment in the dugout with the coaching staff, I mean, me, you know, like Tom Kelly, great story with Tom Kelly. I'm the, I'm the third base coach and we're playing at home in the Metrodome. Cal Ripken's at the play. He he'd hit a home run his first at bat and the game's like a three to two game or something like this. A man on first and TK says to me, Guardy, you think he'll bunt? And I went, I hope he bunts. And TK said, well, I'll just sit down and shut the mm up. And that was it. I'm going, to, oh, my God. And here's like Puckett and those guys going, Guardy got in trouble on the bench with TK standing there. Those are the things that I really do miss. <laughs> I can remember so many times getting back to the – I mean, you make a pitch and change, and then before I can sit back down in the dugout, there's a three-run homer going off, and there's fireworks in the background. I mean, wait, wait, wait a minute, time out. Can I do that over? I, I, used to yeah. try, I used to try and tell people I made the right decision at the time. Three or four pitches later, it all turned to crap. Okay. But at that exact moment, it was a really good. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those. If, if, do you think if I thought that guy was going to throw a fastball down the middle, do you think I would have put him in there? Really? I would tell the press that after the game. <laughs> Where else are you going to say? <laughs> No, share with them though. Share with them though. We used to the one line I used to get you always laugh about. You share it in that text message with me. I didn't want to spoil it to them, but when we'd be standing out there, standing out there for for uh, the Star Spangled Banner, tell them what I'd share with you. Yeah, I always used to like to stand by Clint. You know, when we were on the line there in Tidewater, and the first time I'd ever heard it in my life. And you know, it's it's the song. It's the national anthem. We're supposed to be standing there, but Clint says, "Gertie." I have a bad game every time I hear this song. And I was, my body was shaking. My whole body was shaking. And I'm trying not to. It's the national anthem. But this guy drops it on me, and I can, I'll never forget that. I'll never. It's a line that stuck with me, and I'm going, oh, my. That's, that's, you're the GOAT. Hurdle's the GOAT. That was the greatest of all time quotes. <laughs> yeah. That's an epic line. That's an epic yeah, I line. hate that song. Every time I hear it, I have a bad game. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, how, 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 how much do you enjoy watching it? He's done it for a long time now at a lot of levels, but your son, Toby, manage and following in your footsteps. He's still a very young man. I, I say that as I look at a 40-year-old man or almost 40. He's still a very young man. How much are you enjoying watching Toby's career? 
Well, I do. And we get in my RV. We drove up to, you know, Omaha to watch them play and then on up to Minnesota and St. Paul and, and parked it up there. And my wife and I enjoy going to the games. But I will tell you this. The one part that I, I don't like is we went on the road trip through Omaha and then to St. Paul and a span of maybe 10 games. He got thrown out three times. Ooh. I said, son, there's parts of the parts of my background that you should take and take the heart. And that part you should, because you're going to go broke. And, and I told him, you need to calm down. All right. And he's got a little bit of that in me, not as bad where he gets a little fired up, but when he gets fired up, it is kind of entertaining to see, but I go talk to him every time. Toby, come on, you need to stay in the game. Cause I've been there. I've been there. I was stupid. I've been there. And, and I don't want him to, you know, get into that. He's a good, calm kid. He's a smart kid, analytically sound. Stay that way. Leave the umpires alone. Well, you never win. Oh, you'll win a seat in the clubhouse. That's about all you'll win. I think you got thrown out 73 times, right? Something like that, to that effect? I think you might be generous right there, but yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> I yeah, could have been did more than I did. They kept bringing that up to my attention. Every time he would come to town, they wanted me like to catch up or something. I said, catch up? I said, I'll miss the last two weeks of the season if I, I can't catch up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, entertainment. Hey, my final my question goal, for you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, my well, final my question goal, for you is uh, is is going to pause because I want to hear what your goal is. Go for it. Well, my goal was always for the players to stay in the game. So a player would start getting in an argument with an umpire at home plate or whatever. I would run out and get in between them, and then I'd get all the focus, the umpire's focus on me. You know, raising my arms up or whatever, and they throw me out of the game. But the player needs to stay in the game. I can't win a game for them, not very often. They need to be in the game so we can win ball games, and that's why I got thrown. I always got in between them. Not every time, but most of the time I got in between them. I didn't want them to get thrown out of the game. Yeah, yeah. I want to but ask you. And, and you the, go ahead. You lost <laughs> you, you. You lost your father two decades ago, and you know you were born in Germany. He was a, a career military man. As a matter of fact, as a very young man before baseball became your passion, that could have been a path for you. Um, you know, with your son, Toby, with you, you know, how much of his fingerprints were on who you were as a leader and as a man, obviously, with the sacrifices he made throughout his career? Well, when we were little kids out in California, Fort Ord Army Base, and I remember my dad taking us out there and him marching the men. And those were kind of the first times I'd got to see him. I was probably four or five years old, but I just remember him marching them and giving them the old cadence and and uh, him coming home in that uniform with those stripes on him. He was over in Korea for a long time and about three different tours over there. I was born in Germany. My older brother was. And then his last tour was in Korea. But come, him coming home on the train into Bakersfield, California, and us meeting him, it didn't get any better. But he was a humble guy. And he was also, you know, became head of security at a, a college there in Oklahoma. And uh, he had total respect. Everybody respected him. And it's just the way he was. When he was talking quiet, you better be careful when he's talking normal, you're okay. But when he starts lowering his voice, that means you're kind of getting out of line. And it was all about respect. Kids should be seen and not heard when he's talking around his friends. And, you know, that was one of the biggest things I learned, uh, you know, about being a kid when my dad and him was with his, his brothers or whatever, the kids need to go outside and play and let them talk. And, and he, I, I really believe in that. I think that's really important that parents need their time together to talk and the kids need to be quiet at times. And, that's what we were. We, we had the military dad and we all grew up that way. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you for coming on and hanging out with us, my friend. We're blessed because you joined us. It's my pleasure. I'm, I'm uh, of course, Clint and I are pretty good buddies. We went through a lot of baseball together and uh, we love this game and we love being a part of it still. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy that you guys invited me. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Got it. Got it. Remember when All Johnny right, Antonelli would come in the clubhouse yeah. after the game? One, yeah, night he pulled, <laughs> one night he came in after a game, Guardy and I, third base shortstop. What we say? He said, I hope you both go and take a shower and drown. You guys will haul. <laughs> God and how, God and how, Hurdle, you need to, you need to quit taking backhands. You just try to get out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> that was called coaching back in the day. And yeah, it was. It sure was. Yeah.
Gardy, thanks a bunch, buddy. I'm going to be in touch. i got to find my way up there for your Hall of Fame induction, man. I want to see that. I mean that. That'll right. be good. All right, Clint. All right. I appreciate the ride. it, man. Thanks. Thank you. A lot of fun, guys. So amazing, Clint. First of all, amazing get in that conversation. Sometimes I got to be honest, we we stop and and even though he's such a young man and what he's accomplished in this game, Ron Gardenhire, once you're not in the game full time, you forget, you know, and that's normal. You forget. He's not an analyst for a team now. He's not out front. But then you're reminded when we dig into all that he did and uh, you don't forget anymore. You remember the lives he impacted, the, the communities he impacted. I think what stands out to me, you know, in listening to you guys both address the challenges of being a modern manager. First of all, the money ball's real. I mean, that, that we've all seen that great movie that we love and it's very real. That doesn't make it bad, it's just real. But both of you guys said very clearly, you know, quietly after you had gone through the challenges of being a manager, that that's the evolution of the game. And I guess that's where the game is going. You don't have to love it, but I think it may continue to evolve. Am I fair in saying that, that both of you guys kind of look at the current game and both of you, especially Gardy said, well, that's the evolution of the game. I mean, the game has evolved to this now. Doesn't make it a bad thing, doesn't make it a good thing, but two men who have given a ton to this game nodded their head to where the game has evolved and said, this is where it is now. Is that fair? That's fair. And I, and I think the beauty of it is, is that we're, we're not going to be grumpy old men. You know, there can be a, a, a thought or a rant, you know, in yeah. some areas. However, at the end of the day, we, we were fortunate and blessed to be in the game during our time. That's the game we grew up with. That's the game that we was, was handed down to us. That's the game that we embraced. We loved, you know, tears, laughter. And then as the game moved and pivoted in a different direction, you know, that's, that's really a game for somebody else. And I'm okay with that. It's somebody else's game now. I mean, I tip my hat to Frank Cohn and a couple of the guys in, in our area that are still there. Not many. There may be only two. You know, Buck's back. Uh, Tito's back in it. But of that era, you know, Socha's out. Gardy's out. I went out. There's, a, there's, a, there's not many that are still there. I, you know, I tip my hat to the guys that are in it because it's a different working environment. It's a different clubhouse. It's a different dugout. And it's hopefully when it gets on the field, that opening days around the corner, it's going, there's going to be a game there. There's going to be 15 spots where it's going to be nothing but fun. I, I'm probably going to look for an AM dial to try and get an old AM game. Like I used to on the radio to, to listen to something. <laughs> I may throw some eye black on just, you know, when the game starts popcorn, eye black, pine tar, my glove, whatever. It's going to be messy, but it's going to be opening day. And I'm still a firm believer in the fact that it should be a national holiday. Um, it's a beautiful game. We, we've tried to shrink it. We've tried to recreate in some areas. And I, I do think that it's, it's probably better off left alone in most cases. Um, I just hope that we can continue to find ways to teach the young generation about the game. Perfect game does such a fantastic job about keeping kids involved and engaged. It's why I'm a member, part of Perfect Game, and why I feel honored and blessed to do it. That's what got my juices flowing again for teaching. I mean, I'm, I'm doing the game backwards now. For 17 years at the major league level, I'm teaching kids that are 21 to 41 years old, you know, the game or, or watching them play the game. And now I'm going back and learning from kids that are 13 to 17, you know, their game, engaging in that game. And, you know, you said it, John, earlier on, you know, the I used to keep a white piece of paper. It was just a, it was a game. It was a dugout card that I folded off and I just wrote my notes and it kept it in my back pocket. That was my cheat sheet, you know, and that was real. And I, I would look at, it. I knew most of it, but I would look at it from time to time. I didn't need information that I didn't feel was going to help us win the game that, that night. You know, I wanted to make sure I was putting our organization in the best position to win a game that night. My coaches were as well. I just continued. My hope for the game is that name on the front will always mean something to every player who plays it. And that name on the back, if you've got one, that's representative of where you come from and honor that. You know, so thanks for a great episode. I shouldn't say great. It was good. 
we don't get to be great until we get like 197 of these or something. But nice. I love the number fives. Um, I love the energy guard he brought. He's one of my favorite guys. And I, I appreciate the time spent with you all again, as always. Play ball. Beautiful. That was great. All right. All right. Oh, this is what I was waiting for. I love it when we do these. I have so much fun. Good. How's, are Very you, good at it. Are you staying out of the sun a little bit this week, Clint? Maybe. <laughs> I've tried. We didn't get to the hot stove event, which is completely fine. But that's okay. But I just wanted to, baseball terms, it was a five-run homer. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Five-run homer is pretty good. We Maddie finds a way to show up once a year like it's her prom. And she kind of worked this one with me. She worked the crowd. She followed me when I was sharing. Um, we filled the tent with 175 people. It was just a beautiful night. A beautiful night. Congratulations. We've all said and done. We'll raise, we're probably going to raise more money than we did last year. How we do that, we're just blessed by so many people with, with big hearts. Um, but it's a fantastic event that we're proud to be a small part of. So we can really help some kids out and some families that don't have any money to do it on their own. Right. Keep it going, Clint. You guys, I love you. Have a good week. We'll see Take you. Care, we'll be in touch. There Thanks, it is. guys. Thank you very much, everyone. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you, guys.